The following program and views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio, live, in person, at the North Carolina Pet Expo. Dave Alexander along with Dr. Franklin Weefald. Hello, sir. How you doing? I am excellent today. I, I think that they should have a pet expo every <laughs> weekend. No. I am looking right now at some of the greatest looking yeah. dogs. I don't see cats. Yeah. I thought people would be walking cats through here or birds is, or something. Is, is, that is that a, a mastiff? mastiff? That's what I thought. Yeah. And then right is a Bernie's Mountain Dog. Yeah. And then I've seen uh, a Shih Tzu. Yes. And every single dog. And the, and the neat thing is, it's not like some fella showed up at a booth with a bunch of mastiffs or a bunch of shih tzus. People are bringing their dogs here. Yeah. And, and so yeah. bring your dog here. We are at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds. Um, it's, I think it's a couple of dollars to get in. It's not I worth, don't know. Not I, worth I, mentioning. Yeah. I um, have no idea how much it costs. The, uh, the cool part about today's event is that we're going to be live here from top to finish from noon to three because we've got another show i've got another show coming up after this but we're going to talk about pets and health and whatever else you want to talk about okay yeah all right well there's always callers right there's always stuff that's that's off the beaten path yeah that we get into but there'll be a there'll be a pet theme you know, throughout today's show, yeah. because everybody knows if you've listened to the show before, right. I think dogs, particularly as pets, are some of the best things you can do. Having a dog is some, one of the best things you can right. do for your health. And we're going to explain the two major ways that it is. Okay. You sent me two conflicting articles, right. as you always do. Right. One, are the pets the new probiotic? Which kind of makes sense because you're attitude is always playing the dirt and if you can't play in the dirt maybe you could play with but see, individuals when you, when that play you in have the dirt. a dog if yeah. your dog goes outside right which it they all do i don't know any dog that's only an indoor dog right they're going to track things into your um house right so you get to play in the dirt in your house <laughs> on the basis of your dog and you think this is a positive thing. It's my, a completely positive thing. My wife spends proven. hundreds of dollars to eliminate the dirt that well, no, you want dogs to track keep in. your house clean. That's obvious. Yeah. Um, that's, that's for reasons above and beyond, you know, health-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I want to tell you is you don't have to worry about your dog making you sick. It's just the opposite. Okay. And so, you know, everybody will hear that you can get diseases from your animals. And, and that's true. If your right. dog is sick, your dog might be able to pass something on to you. And I found an article where they talk about salmonella and pasturella. Sure, if your dog gets <laughs> salmonellosis and hey, what's this thing? leaves something all over your carpet, 
then sure, you want to clean that up, you know. But if a dog tracks things in from the outside, right, that's a good thing. And we're All going right. to talk about why. What is this one right y- here? Yersinia enterocolitic Oh, yeah. I had that twice. You have Yeah. That. You I had did. Yersinia? I did, but I, t- I took yeah, so antibiotics the, and it yeah, went away. When a patient of mine has a diarrheal illness, yeah. other things you check for. One is Yersinia. Yeah. Then you check for Pasteurella. You check for Salmonella. You yes. get that through a stool culture. Those yes. things are treatable and they're taken care of. And yes, it's possible you can get it from your sick dog. But it's extremely rare. Right. And what you obviously want to do is watch your dog and see if it's sick. Right. Now, one of the problems is, I, do you feed your dog uh, table food? No, no. I don't even. Sometimes a little yeah, scrap. It, it was my first. Uh, this is These are my first two animals I have now. But I don't serve table food to. Right. And, you know, the, one of the problems is they get a hold of something. You might have, you know, loose stools. And then you don't know if they're sick or not. And you get worried that you're going to get something from them. Yeah. But, you know, when an animal's sick, you can tell. Right. And what I don't want you to do is read all about the different things that you can get. I mean, Coxiella brunetti, that's a horrible disease. And yeah. sure, you know, you can animals can give you illnesses when they're sick. But that's one of the reasons why you want your, also your dog to be outside and playing with other dogs is because that makes them healthier, too. So this gets us into the concept that pets, and especially dogs, are what we call the new probiotic. Right. And what does that mean? If you take probiotics, those are actually germs. Those are bacteria. Those are the good germs. And what everybody has to remember is that you have more bacteria in your gut and on your skin than you have cells in your body. They are uh, what we call commensal organisms. They work with your body. So if you didn't have bacteria in your gut, you could not digest anything because the bacteria help break down the food that you eat into the individual nutrients that are good. And what we know now is that certain types of bacteria in certain individuals can make them gain weight because they turn the carbohydrates into sugars, which are stored as fat. Sure. Have you ever you ever met a person who eats like 4,000 calories a day and his yes. skin is a rail? Not in my family. Well, I yes. know a lot. I was like that before yeah. I turned 40. I yeah. could not gain weight. It looks as though that's the type of bacteria that's in your gut. Okay. Now... Dogs, especially, have certain types of bacteria that when they get into your system are beneficial in terms of digestion. So those people who have animals tend to be less obese than people who don't have dogs. And they think that's because of the exchange of bacteria in the gut. Now, the other thing that I've always talked about, and I got a lot of flack for this from some of the clean freaks that we know, But when you let your kids play in the dirt, what do you do? You're exposing them early on in their age to all sorts of bacterial organisms and viral organisms. And what that does is it trains your immune system to be on the alert for any kind of bacteria or virus. So even if you haven't seen it before, okay, even if you haven't been exposed to a bacteria before, if you've been exposed to a broad spectrum, of organisms, then your immune system has a natural immediate response to 
bacteria and a response to viruses. Right. So when your dog tracks things in, that exposes you to all sorts of different bacteria and to viruses that you get a, a, an immune response to. Right. And not only that, you get an immune response to organisms which you haven't met. Now, the other thing is kids who grow up on farms and kids who are exposed to the germs that dogs bring in are clearly less likely to get asthma. And not only that, oh. there is a lower incidence of autoimmune diseases. We don't know exactly what that is from, but it is a definite benefit. So right. if you can't live on a farm and you can't go out and shovel horse manure, yes. the next best thing is to have a dog or two right. or three. And it's not a bad thing. They're not going to make you sick. I live in an apartment building where they have signs everywhere, dog feces spread disease, clean uh, up yeah. after your dog. Which sure. is true. You want to clean up after your dog mainly in, sure. my, in my mind because I hate stepping in it. Yeah. That's the worst thing in the world. That's the worst smell, yeah. And so get exposed to dogs. Get exposed to pets. You'll have a stronger immune system, and you'll not get... Uh, asthma as as frequently as, or your kids won't get asthma as frequently as other kids do. Okay. And the other thing is, you know, and this this is related to what's going on in New York now. You know, there's a polio patient right. out there, and you know, everybody's had the polio vaccine. Well, did you get the one that was in the sugar cube, or did you get did the I shot? Did I get what? The polio vaccine. Yes, I got it in you my arm. You got the sugar cube. You remember when you were a kid? No, I thought I got it in my arm. Yeah. So there was. Um, I thought it was the greatest, the greatest vaccine I ever got. They had a little yeah. sugar cube, yeah. and they plopped on some juice on the sugar cube, and that was a live polio vaccine. Right. And so they called it an attenuated polio virus, and it actually gave us the strongest response. Well, for some reason now, and it wasn't just, I don't know if you've read, is there one kid, or is there yes. more than one kid who got polio? Um, and it's almost unheard of. But when... The polio epidemics were raging in the summer times in the 50s and 40s. And yes. I mean, parents were afraid to let their kids go outside because they thought that's where they were getting it from. Kids who lived on farms right. who were exposed to dirt from a young age, they didn't get polio. And as it turned out, there were two reasons. There was a polio-like virus in farm dirt that they would get exposed to. It wasn't one that would cause the polio illness, but it created a, a cross-reactivity um, uh, to the immune system, and so these kids wouldn't get polio. Right. And that's a prime example of what I mean. Don't worry about your kids outside getting sick. Worry about them not being outside. And what I am concerned about is all, what do kids do nowadays? They sit in the basement and they play video games. Yes, they do. So, you know, get your kids off of the video game machine. Get them outside. Get them rolling around in the dirt. Get them exposed to different things so that they have a greater immune system. Now, they don't know why there's less asthma when you're exposed to the dirt at an early age. Mm -hmm. But not, and not only do you have less asthma when playing in the dirt, you have less asthma if you have a dog. Right. Now, there are people who obviously are allergic to dogs. And right. there's just no doubt about it. Um, and you have to be careful of that. You don't want your kid to get sick from the allergy of a dog. But 
I can't tell you enough about how important it is to have pets and to be outside. Okay. We are going to talk about a couple of stories I think are going to turn out to be a little controversial. Um, Dr. Fauci and coronavirus research, we're not going to spend a long time on it, but we're pretty sure that he may not have been telling 100%. And that's a very important At all times. And the other one is Meta, which used to be called Facebook. Meta has been helping U.S. hospitals target health care ads. This angers me. It's, I think, one of the biggest scandals, in my mind, it should be, one of the biggest scandals in health care in the world. Well, this explains all the the ads I get about health care and specific things that I have. Right. I haven't mentioned on the radio, but there, there's the ad right there. Absolutely. On my, on my Facebook. All right. That's coming up. This is Heart Health Radio. We are live at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds, the Exposition Center. And we'd love to see you here at the WPTF booth on um, Heart Health Radio, FM 98.5 and AM 680, WPTF. Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Live at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds. And we are going to be uh, here till 2 o'clock with uh, Heart Health Radio and perhaps beyond that. By the way, if you come to the WPTF booth, come to the WPTF booth, you might be marketed to. Because <laughs> Greg, the floor guy, from the other show is set up a halfway booth and he's he's been he's been pulling people aside never stop closing doctor yeah never stop closing all right so meta and u.s hospitals are being sued now let me let me tell you what what facebook relied upon yeah uh, for a long time and one of the reasons why facebook is actually in monetary trouble now yes so if you had the old system on your Apple iPhone, it allowed Meta to track what you looked at, say, on Safari, and then target ads on your Facebook based on what you were watching on Safari. Right. So they stopped that. They won't allow them to cross-talk into your other apps. Right. And I always get the questions when I pull up an app, do you want me, you want to allow us to cross-talk? Yes. And so now they they won't let you do that. And I just hit no. Well, what happened with the hospital is that Facebook or Meta or whatever you call it yeah. have decided that they're going to work with hospitals in terms of their computer um, uh, cross-reactivity. And yeah. so what they do is they track and take the data from your hospital record okay so suppose you got admitted for a heart attack right meta can find out these hospitals sell them your data and they sell them the fact that you had a heart attack now how do i know they're identifying you individually because meta will take and find you and target an ad for a heart attack patient onto your facebook and so it's just ridiculous if you have a heart attack, you're going to get an ad for an aspirin. 
Sure. If you have a heart attack, you're going to add for a certain medication. Right. And I think that that is absolutely terrible. And I think that there's something that's got to be done. The top 100 hospitals, 33 of their websites are connected to Meta. And Meta is taking that data yes. and targeting ads toward the patients right. by name. And now, how is that not against the law, against against the HIPAA, HIPAA. A HIPAA violation? Suppose, suppose for a moment you work in a medical setting and John Smith doesn't sign your universal um, release, right? right? So you don't have permission to talk about John Smith right. on the radio. Okay. So here's the thing. What if you, not even on the radio, but on a telephone conversation to Joe Blow, not another doctor, yeah. just Joe Blow, said, you know, so-and-so had a uh, chronolectomy, and we had to remove his chronolysis. Yeah, whatever. Whatever it is. Could you get in trouble? Yeah. You should And the other things I can get in trouble for yeah. is not only directly naming a patient. Right. But if I give enough detail. Right. So that somebody can say, hey, that's John. Right. So I say, hey, guy with blonde hair, blue eyes, who weighs 160 pounds. Yeah. He's a fireman. Yep. I saw him. That identifies him to a number of people. Right. And that is against the law as well. Okay. So. I don't even get this metaverse business. Do you? You know what they're talking about? Yeah, they're trying. They're to talking about you walking around, right. Wearing um, a head. Uh, what are they? What's it called? A, uh, a thing that covers your eyes. Yeah, a headset. Yeah. And then part of what you see is real. Sure. And part of what you see is an avatar. Yeah. Is fake. Why would you want to do that? Because you're bored with real life. I'm not bored with real life. I, and you don't mind knocking things over. I think it's just absolutely insane that they would change the name of Facebook, which has you know, yeah. been a brand for 20 years, Yeah. yeah. Um, and now it's called Meta. And I say to myself, Meta what? You know, Metaphysical? <laughs> Dr. Fauci claimed that the United States did not and does not pay for gain-of-function research. Please tell me what gain-of-function is. Okay. So suppose you have a cold virus. Yes. Uh, coronavirus. Or suppose it only infects bats. Yeah. Sound familiar? Yeah. And then you take it in a lab and you make some adjustments to the DNA. Right. And you do that either by cross-reacting them sure. so that they mix their DNA in a, in a cell and, and other stuff comes out. Or you actually take genetic engineering and you put DNA in there. Well, then it becomes able to infect humans. And, and this would, is, listen, this is clearly this? what they were trying to do. Why? They were trying to find a way to take a coronavirus that only infected bats and make it infective in humans. Right. And what they say the reason is, is that they wanted to be able to develop a vaccine so that if in nature this happened, <laughs> yeah. they would be able to step in and say, we have a vaccine against oh, yeah. this. Yeah. But what happened, and I'm sorry, I think the preponderance of evidence is that what happened is, yes, they did some genetic um, messing around and they made this thing uh, active against humans. 
and infecting human. Right. And it got out of the way. Now, Fauci says, and he said before the, the Congress, that we weren't doing gain of function because of the change in the definition of gain of function. Right. But clearly, it gained function and it escaped from the lab. And so okay. now you have, finally, a lot of microbiologists who aren't afraid of losing their grants anymore. Right. And they're coming out and saying, Fauci was not telling the truth. These were gain-of-function experiments. They got out of the lab, and they killed tens of millions of people. Our street reporter, Mike Slayman, has just found someone who wants to ask a question. What what is your name, man? Gail. PVCs as far as hearts. Um, you mean what about polychlorinated? Them? Oh, PVCs. Premature ventricular contraction. And what's the question about them? I just can you explain what they are? A Absolutely. Bit more into, a Absolutely. Bit of so you have four chambers of the heart: two on top, which are the atria, and two on bottom, which are the ventricles. Okay. So the ones on top pump into the heart. And then the ones on the bottom, the ventricles, pump one. The right ventricle goes to the lungs. The left ventricle goes to the body. And so you have this constant pumping action that gets blood flowing in the right direction. The normal electricity starts in the top, in the atria, and then travels down, allowing the atria to contract, travels down to the bottom, and allows the ventricles to contract. Every now and then, the bottom part of the heart gets excited. Have you ever had a muscle twitch? So that's what it is. And so when the bottom part of the heart has a muscle twitch, it's called a premature, because it doesn't come in line with the normal blood flow. Ventricular comes from the bottom part of the heart, contraction. Now when I have them, and I have them a lot, it feels like your heart pauses, and then a really strong beat afterwards that you can sometimes feel up in your neck. And the reason why that is, is when you have a PVC, when that contraction happens, it's not a very strong one. So the one from the bottom part of the heart, the electrical sh- impulse, it doesn't make your heart beat all that well. As the heart pauses, it fills up with more blood. And that next beat that's normal is stronger. So that's what happened. you got a half a minute. Now, PVCs can be dangerous if you've had a heart attack or if you have a weak heart. But mostly in women who are healthy, she looks really healthy, doesn't she? She does, yes. In women who are healthy, it's an annoyance more than anything else. And so there are many ways to treat it. Uh, first thing we do is give a little magnesium because sometimes more magnesium helps. I'm going to stop you the, there. Yeah, I'm other stop other you and take your do. microphone away. All right, take it away. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. All right, this is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. Leah Spear joins us from Craft Body Scans. Mike, probably want to loan her the microphone. Uh, Leah, how are you? I'm great. Great. Good to have you here. We hear about Craft Body Scans all the time on the radio thank you <laughs> it's a great it's a great program for yeah. people to get done oh i've, I've actually been involved in coronary calcium scanning yeah. for 30 years it's been around a long time and i'm really excited to see you guys in this area 
for what you can do for my patients and the general public in getting uh, the diagnosis of coronary disease. And Is this an example of something that 10 years ago would only be done in the hospital is now being brought back out to us. Exactly, yes. This is something that now people can take charge of their own health. They don't have to wait um, to have major problems before they can get a CT scan and find out if there's anything going on. Is that what it is? That's what it is. It's a low-dose uh, CT scanner. Right, so the way it works is that if you have cholesterol buildup in your arteries, they calcify. And so the more cholesterol buildup in terms of volume, not necessarily tightness of the blockage, the more calcium you have. So if you're 20 years old and you've got calcium in your arteries, that at all, that's a bad thing. If you're 80 years old, there's an amount that is normal for somebody who's 80. But what craft body scans can do is find out what your score is, and there's a scientific method to calculate how much calcium is in your arteries. And it'll tell you your risk of having a heart attack or needing bypass surgery in the future. Right. So if you're 20 years old with a calcium score of 100, that's bad. If you're 80 years old with a calcium score of 100, hey, you've done pretty well. But where we, what we find out is these 40-year-olds with calcium scores of 600, 700, they're at very high risk for having a heart attack. And those are the individuals that need to go to a doctor and get their risk factors under control. And this is what's so great about craft body scan. You don't have to have a doctor's referral, do you? Right. You can just go to your place and have a scan, right? That's right, yes. You don't have to have a doctor's uh, permission to right. do it. Okay. So how, but why would I? You know, it's funny. I mentioned this, and I said, I really need this. You said, yes, you do. Is that based on how old I am? No, not at all. Every Anybody over 35, it's great to okay. start taking good care of your health. Right. Um, this is just like women going in and having mammograms. Right. It's just to make sure that there's nothing wrong. And if there is then we can find it when it's in the beginning stages and uh, not wait until there's nothing that can be done. All right, and what are you gonna find out? So we do a heart, we can do a full body scan. We have uh, different scans that we do. We do a heart lung scan. It can, it uh, shows all five of your arteries going into your heart. Right. Um, shows if there's any calcium buildup. Um, does a lung scan so you can tell if there's any nodules or anything that may have um, that you might have had any problems with and a lot of times people don't have any type of symptoms last month alone we found over 80 people that had calcium scores over 200 and they had no symptoms yeah. is that bad well the thing that's bad about it is that you're walking around with a time bomb right and so you have a lot of cholesterol buildup you won't necessarily have it tight enough to restrict the flow of blood. Right. The tight blockages aren't what cause heart attack. It's the medium-sized and small-sized blockages that can rupture, that, that plaque surface can break right. and cause a heart attack. You, you've heard of a 35-year-old guy or gal yes. running in a marathon and yes. dropping dead. They never had chest discomfort. And the reason is they had cholesterol buildup, but it wasn't tight enough to restrict the flow of blood. Okay. But with this stress of running a marathon, it broke the cap around the mild cholesterol block, yes. enabling it to clot off the artery, and they drop dead. Right. So if you've got a family history especially, if you smoke, if you've got diabetes, if you have high blood pressure, 
if you don't have a dog. <laughs> right, 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 right. Get the scan. Number, the amount of radiation is minimal. It's right. just nothing. Right. And it'll tell you, are you at risk? If you are, what is your risk? And it'll, it's, it's like a kick in the, you know what? Yeah. Get yourself to a doctor. Get your risk factors under control. If you have high cholesterol, get it treated. Now, we always say, we may be over-treating with statin. People sure. who have high cholesterol may not need the statin. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you have a calcium score of zero and you're 70 years old yeah. and your cholesterol is high, you may not need the statin. Right. And that's what this test can also help us with. Right. It's just fantastic. You guys also do the low-dose um, lung cancer, lung scan? Yes, we do lung scan. I'm telling you, if you're a smoker, get this scan. Yeah. I have found five people this year alone who were smokers who had tiny cancer that were picked up on the lung cancer screening CT. They had their cancer removed and they're cured. And like Dr. Weefall, they quit smoking. They what? Quit smoking. Oh, yeah, good. It's fantastic. Now, let me ask you about your full body scan, all right? What does that entail, and why would somebody want to get a full body scan? Well, because there are over 80 other organs in your body besides (laughs) heart and lung. You're (laughs) kidding. No. so this can show your kidneys, your liver, your thyroid. Um, It goes all the way down to mid-thigh level. And so for men, prostate cancer is one of the major Can you pick up prostate cancer on a CT? Yes. On your CT? Yes. I better get one. (laughs) Get two. Uh-huh. Maybe. Get to the I have small. two prostates, yeah. You have two prostates? Yeah. Well, the, other thing, the other thing we do is virtual colonoscopies. Now, tell me about that. Okay. Oh. Now, is that, is that painful? My favorite kind. Is that where they, is that where they <laughs> put something in your you-know-what and then inflate it? Yes. And yes. it's uh-huh. got a little bit of contrast around. It sort of it lights up. Not lights up. The coats, the inside, you can pick up polyps and cancers yes. that way. It only takes five five minutes or so. Anytime it's a woman in there having it done, I stay in there and watch. So yeah. I've seen it done many times. Um, it's a little you bit painful. You have to painful. prep for it like you, you have do. to prep for it just like a regular colonoscopy, but you do not have to be anesthetized. So you can just drive yourself in and drive yourself out. Um, it shows the inside and the outside of the colon, which when you go for a traditional colonoscopy, it only gets the inside. So you can tell the wall thickness. That's right. And on a, a traditional colonoscopy, there's always a chance of rupturing the colon. This has no chance of rupturing the colon because they're not sticking anything up in there. They're just yeah, blowing but you air. You can't overinflate it? No, they don't. Like they're, it, they're, it's very measured. So, <laughs> no, they can't do that. Let me ask you. Do people come back for seconds and thirds? <laughs> okay. I don't think you want to have that done more than once every 10 years. <laughs> okay. All right. Leah, thank you. You bet. Thank you very Listen, much for having Leah us. Craft Body Scan. Do, What's the number they can right. call? How do we get you? 919-794-8888, I think. Yeah. Say it again. Say it again. 794 Yes. And it's a online niner, one niner. Google Craft Body Scan. That's right. And, and I'm the office manager there. If you yeah. call in, you can talk to me, and I'll get you scheduled. And so everybody knows I am not being uh, paid no, by no, them. No, no, no. This is uh, something that I definitely believe in as a physician, cardiologist, somebody trying to <laughs> get people to find out what the risks are so they don't have to have a right. stand. 
and don't right. have to have podcasts. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And right, thanks bye for bye. being on. All right. So there is an article about aspirin. Oh, this is so and crazy. Statins in hot weather causing what? Heart attacks well, it's, or this strokes? is the whole point about this article. It is so completely back asswards yeah? that it's just ridiculous. All right. So what does the article say? The article says that if you're on aspirin, a beta blocker, and a statin, right. you have a higher risk of a heart attack in the summer. Ah. Now, we've always talked about causality. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, you know, suppose you're wearing a, a um, black hat yeah. in the summertime. Yeah. And you are in the heat. Yes. And you wind up getting overheated. Yes. Is it that the black hat is causing you to be overheated? Well, it could be. Or is it that you are engaged in an activity where you're wearing a hat and right. you wind up getting overheated by that situation? Now, that may not be the best explanation. Okay. But if you need to take an aspirin and a beta blocker and a statin, what yes. does that mean? That means you are at very high risk of a heart attack to begin with. Sure. If you are not taking an aspirin, if you are not taking a beta blocker, and if you're not taking a statin, it generally means that you're at low risk for a heart attack. Okay. So when you're in the heat and you have a high risk for a heart attack, even if you are protected, so to speak, from a heart attack by an aspirin, a beta blocker, or a statin, you're much more likely to have a heart attack. So it's not the aspirin, the beta blocker, and the statin right. causing you to have a heart attack. Right. It's your pre-existing condition. The fact that, uh, that I need those things right. because I'm sick. Right. So if you're wearing a black hat, but you have, say, diabetes and you're dehydrated, right. it's not the black hat that causes you to pass out. Oh, that's it's what it is. It's the fact that you are oversensitive or more likely to be suffering from that. So I don't recommend black hats in the summer. But no. I also don't recommend people who are on aspirin, beta blockers, and statins because of their high risk for a heart attack to be out in the heat without protection from the heat, okay? So right. when you read this article, you're gonna say, oh my God, I gotta quit my aspirin, quit my beta blocker, quit my statin, because this article says I'm gonna have a heart attack from right. those right. medicine. And it's a complete lie. And right. I want people to realize, take your medicine, but take precautions in this heat. We've talked about how to do it. Wear a white hat, wear white loose clothing. Don't go out in the middle of the day. If you get overheated, take a cold drink uh, bottle or a can and put it up to your neck where your carotid artery and jugular vein can be cooled. The blood can be cooled right. and bring your temperature down immediately. Okay. I saw, I saw an article where they've got a picture of this guy who clearly has exercised a lot to excess. He's got a six-pack. I had a six-pack once, but I drank one. So yeah. now I have a five. But the point is... This guy just looked ripped. And, and this is also... Remarkable new pill with the same health benefits as actual exercise. Yeah, this is also an incredibly stupid story. <laughs> because what they're talking about is not even proven in terms of these chemicals. Yeah. So what they say is that if you can find a vitamin that will re re release yeah. some molecular messages that they claim... Yeah. Um, will help 
your um, uh, body, specifically when exercise does. It, it's just crazy how these people can bring these things up. And um, it's Dr. Chu Tang. I don't know who the hell he is. He's from the Australia National University. Yeah. And he's claiming he's going to be able to develop a pill that lets these bottled up messages that help your muscles get stronger. There's nothing that's going to happen in the next 10 years that's going to do this. So don't ever believe that you're going to be able to take a pill and have the same amount of benefit as exercise because there's so much to exercise that is multifactorial. When yeah. you exercise, you dilate your arteries. When you exercise, your muscles contract more in a, in a beneficial fashion. Your levels of um, stress hormones go down. There's no way that a single pill is going to be able to do this. I might actually have to get off the couch. Uh, yeah. In order to get in the, all right. Absolutely. Off the couch, out the door. But don't do it in the heat of the summer, in the midday. With a black hat. Don't exercise in the midday, I'm telling you. How many of these young kids you see yeah. running like mad yep. at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, yep. along the side of the road, getting all the car exhaust, Yep. and it's 100 degrees out. You're against that. That is the worst exercise you can do. Because number one, you're going to get dehydrated. Yeah. When you're dehydrated, your muscles have a high um, propensity to start to break down because they're not getting enough of the oxygenation and clearance of something called lactic acid. Right. I have taken care of several young men running outside at 2 in the afternoon in 110 degree weather who've gotten what's called rhabdomyolysis. Yeah. And that is when the actual muscle tissue breaks down and releases something called myoglobin into your bloodstream. The myoglobin in the bloodstream, in the muscle, it's great because yeah. it stores oxygen and lets your muscles function better. But when it, the muscles break down because of the high heat and dehydration, it gets into the bloodstream and you know what it does? It kills your kidney. Oh. You get acute kidney failure, wind up on dialysis, and hope your kidneys come back. Right. So please, if, if you, and I think one of the reasons why they do this, they look so good when they're running along oh, the side yeah, of the yeah. road. They're buff. Yeah. Talk about a six-pack. Yeah, yeah. Do you really think, guys, that a woman is going to stop and get no. to know you no. on the side of the road? You're too sweaty. Yeah. So don't do it. It doesn't help yeah. you. In fact, it destroys your body. Most smart women have already heard this show, and they look at that guy running in 90-degree heat, and they say... I'm not going to talk to that idiot. Yeah, he's an he, idiot. He, he doesn't. Right. He's going to have kidney failure and muscle breakdown. We are at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds, the Pet Expo. And let me tell you, if you're heading to the Pet Expo, bring your pet. Because your dog or cat is, well, dog, as long as they are good among other dogs, is very welcome here. And if you want to come on by... We are at the North Carolina Exposition Center, which is kind of behind the Jim Grant building. And we're going to be here for a good long time, so stop on by. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me want to shout, kick my heels up and shout, do 
Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. You may have caught us setting up an interview here with Jackie of Jackie's Basics and Beyond Dog Training. We are at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds, and we are at the Pet Expo. Very busy. There was a, a point I was going to make before the break. If you come here, bring your pet. Bring your dog. But here's the thing. <laughs> The, and your husband and, you know, the wallet and that sort of thing. But the other important thing is plan to park a little bit farther away from the building than you might for other expos. Because, Jackie, back me up here. This is a popular expo. Jackie, I'm going to double check that your microphone is on right now. Okay, they had me turned off. You're... That's all right. You believe that? We've turned off a lot of women in our time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, we do train men, you know. Oh, yes. All right. Talk to me about your service. Okay. Well, we train dogs and we teach people. So we do everything from puppies um, that are 10 weeks old and older. And we do uh, therapy dogs, service dogs, competition obedience dogs, agility yeah. dogs, yeah. Uh, dance with dogs. Oh, yes. come on. It's called freestyle. Yes. He knows well, it has tricks. to be freestyle. It's not like it's ballerinas. You know, it's not. No, 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 no. It's where you got good music. And, you, well, that didn't sound right. No offense no, no. to any ballerinas. No, no. But, oh, yes. You guys, uh, we have a video going over there that will show. Well, they do 40, you know, four feet because I'm, they do about my height. Yes. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to hand you to Rebecca because that's part of what she does. Talk to talk to us about therapy dogs. So, our therapy dog organization is a nonprofit organization that we started about three years ago. Yes. Right. And we take the dogs that may have done training at Jackie's, and now they are able to go take our dogs with a purpose test. Right. And they have to do this test with no treats, no corrective collar. Oh yeah. The dogs can't lick. They can't sniff. They can't grab things from people's hands, food, we, we teach would, them to ignore all of that. We would totally fail that, Dr. <laughs> yes, we yes you would. We would. Look she's at that, 11 yeah. months old. 11 months old. Yes. So, so, so um, therapy dogs are ones that we um, train the owner and the dog to go out to make people's lives better at nursing yeah. homes, hospitals. Yeah. This is a service dog that is going to be chast for me. Yes, and they take their dog out, and um, like we have one that goes to the ho like. There's one right there being pet by the lady in the wheelchair. Um, she takes him to UNC <laughs> Hospital, and he visits patients yes. and makes their days better. That's great. Thank yes. you very much. Yes. Thank you both of you. You would look up Jackie's Basics and Beyond Dog Training, Good. and if you go to the website, that has our phone number, email, and how to contact us. Uh, we've been in Cary area for over 11 years, so a lot of it's from vets and word of mouth that we have built the business. Yes. No, it's a location, and it's a very big, and it's indoor and air conditioned. But a what? Um, no. Oh, what do we? <laughs> They have that. Yes, um, that would. 
Yeah. That would be wonderful, but we are more uh, training the dogs to be good in public and be able to go to Ronald McDonald and the yeah. hospitals and competition obedience. Um, So I see what's happening. He's probably builds pools. That's why you're doing that, right? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so are you watching my heart just go ah? Therapy dogs help people with their heart. It actually is proven. That is. Jackie, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to have you talk into this microphone. Oh, okay, mine not, I'm not working. Yeah, I think yours is not working. Tell me, okay. please, tell me, please, does owning a dog improve your health? I absolutely. know that the article we pulled out says so. Yep, absolutely does. Tell me why. So let's talk about the ways owning a dog improves your health. And one of the ways is that it improves your immune system. We've talked about that earlier right. today. When you're exposed to the germs that a dog brings in, right. it prompts your immune system to mount a response. It not only mounts a response against that particular bacteria or virus, but it trains your immune system to immediately respond to unknown okay. antigens. All right. uh, of, uh, an antigen is what the immune system responds to. And so you become easy, it's much easier for you to fight off a virus that you haven't seen before. Right. Now, the second way that a dog improves your health is through exercise. So if you take your dog for a walk every day, you're not only helping your dog, but you're helping yourself. And if you have a dog, you walk for 30 minutes at a brisk pace every day. That's really all the exercise that you need to protect your heart. You don't right. need to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. You don't need to be out there busting yeah. your chops, lifting. Although, you know, some weight training can help you as long as it's not too much so a dog benefits your health through the exercise you can get by walking your dog but i think one of the more important ways perhaps is reducing stress now yeah. we have a society where every news that you read all the news you read is bad. right the country's going to the dog <laughs> the country actually that'd be a good thing the country's falling apart uh inflation you can't buy gas anymore and then, you know, your boss yelled at you. You're afraid of losing your job. It's just terrible, the stress that you have. Yeah. And then add on top of that a health problem. Suppose you've had a minor heart attack or even a major heart attack. And you're going to be worried about that. Is my family going to have me for a period of time? Hey. A dog immediately drops your um, level of stress. And what it can do, 34% less risk of having another heart attack or needing a stay, or needing bypass. Yeah. yeah. So it definitely improves your health. Now, I'm out here at this pet expo. I'm looking at these great dogs. Yes. It's fantastic. I'm I'm much more relaxed than I was this morning, um, although I had two great dogs this morning. Yeah. I think it's really important for all of us to understand why we have pets. They, they're fun. They also can help us with I'm laughing because Jackie just walked by with the biggest dog I've ever seen. Well, you didn't see my dog, so I had you, two new you, you put that dog in a field. That looks like a cow. Listen, we got another hour of Heart Health Radio coming up right here.
Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. A little bit of noise in the background. You know what that's from? North Carolina Pet Expo. Yep. And we are enjoying ourselves this afternoon. Be a great thing for you to bring the kids to. Everybody and their sister brought their dog. I didn't see it. Now I see a what is that a parakeet? You see a parakeet? Yeah, right over there. Is it? She's you? blocking your way. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Well, we've got somebody here to talk about how to clean up, and maybe if you have a sick pet, we can uh, find a way to do the right stuff and get it all cleaned up. All right. What is your first name? Chatter. Chatter from from Zero West. Talk to me about Zero clean green we don't use harsh chemicals and we provide the longest lasting clean as well um, just like humans and dogs alike they're not perfect we know that accidents happen but we're here to help you out if that does happen we can also get a whole bunch of other things out of the carpet as well stains uh, is there a special system that you guys have that's so different special about us is that we don't need residues that's what zero res stands for it's zero residue um you're not using soap, are you? No, sir. So our, our water does most of the cleaning. Uh, we actually treat all of our water back at the shop through a process called electrolysis. Uh, the pH of our water is about 10.5 to 11, so it has about the same cleaning power as bleach, but in the safe factor of water to the point that you can almost drink it. Oh, wow. Most other carpet cleaners will just use the water out of the hose in the backyard. Wow. So, now, what is in it? How does the process actually work? So we actually it? add an electrolyte to the water through that process electrolysis, where we'll actually split the atoms. So we'll actually split the atoms in the water and we'll substitute it back in. It's one of our incidents. It's one of our incidents. I apologize for the, uh, for, for the extra sound. T- tell me again what is in the water. So the water is just an electrolyte. Right. Um, we actually split the bonds of the water. Um, and I think we take out the hydrogen and substitute it with an electrolyte, and that's how we get the, the pH up as high as so we can. So it's not soap? No, sir. So we, when you're done, yes, sir. what is the benefit compared to using soap? So it's like our motto states, we clean green. Right. right? We don't leave any harsh chemicals or residues. Everything is formulated and is a proprietary substance um, designed by Zero Res. So there's nobody else on the market that can do what we do, and nobody else can offer the same services. So suppose I have a dog that's sick, that's got a bad <laughs> infection, and he leaves a mess on my dog. Yeah. You can clean it up and take the stain away, but are you also getting rid of everything that's in there that we don't like, the bacteria, things like that? Yes, sir. So. There are a couple methods that we have to clean up stains. Depending on the severity, it depends on the treatment that we can do. Um, so we have two different types of treatments. There's topical, which just cleans the actual carpet, and then for your more severe stains, uh, we can clean all the way down to the subfloor without removing any carpet, anything along those lines. That's fantastic. How do they get a hold of you? Where, where, how, how does somebody contact Zero Res? 
So, so just Google it or what do they yeah, do? Yeah, so you just Google Zero Res NC. Z-E-R-O-R-E-Z. NC.com. NC.com. Uh, or they can reach us at our phone number. Uh, I believe it's 919-995-0000. Fantastic. Awesome. All right, thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. And this Take is care. great. Take care. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Let's see here. There's an article about gout. Yeah. Gout flare-ups and heart risk. Absolutely. Is there a connection? Absolutely. Any type of inflammatory disease. All right, so you look at gout. What is gout? Gout is a situation where you have too much uric acid in your bloodstream. Uric acid can crystallize. Right. Right. The um, total body inflammation situation comes up. And when your whole body is inflamed, the arteries in your heart can rupture the smooth plaque that's containing the cholesterol and cause a heart attack. So and it is absolutely true. If you are prone to gout, if you have an acute gouty attack, and you have them frequently, you're at much more risk of a heart attack and stroke than no. someone who doesn't have gout. Now That's why it's did. so important to get your gout treated. Now, how do we treat gout? Please. First thing you do, if you don't have severe diabetes, we give prednisone or a steroid yeah. that immediately tamps down the immune reaction to the crystals in your joints. The second thing we do is give something called colchicine. Now, yeah. colchicine is a very unique anti-inflammatory agent. It works by preventing these little tubes inside your immune cells from working properly yeah, so that the immune cells don't react as strongly and your whole inflammation system, your whole inflammatory system comes down. So what we know now is that colchicine is an amazing drug for all sorts of different inflammatory conditions. Yeah. Pericarditis, you get a viral infection around the sac of the heart. Colchicine is actually a great drug for that. So. If you have gout, it's important that you try to tamp down as many gout attacks as you're having because it can inflame your whole body and lead right. to a higher risk of heart attack and stroke. If you have gout, go see your GP, go see your rheumatologist. There are ways to keep it from coming back. There is a medicine called allopurinol, which can lower the amount of uric acid in your bloodstream and prevent gout attacks in the future. You've got to be careful if you have kidney problems because allopurinol can be um, a problem if you have a weak kidney. So yeah. that's why it's important to get this problem yeah. attacked and prevent yourself from having a gout attack. My dad, 20, probably 25, 30 years ago, had gout flare-ups, and he would self-medicate with... Aspirin? No, no, he would... He would, well, he'd probably take aspirin because in those days, you know, if you hurt, you'd take aspirin. He would feed himself a lot of orange juice. Really? Was that a wives' tale? You know, I don't know. Oh, But okay. one of the things well, I haven't I mean, talked it's not, about it's is not gar not guaranteed. Diet. Yeah, you used to be gout was the rich man's disease. I don't know if you know that. Back yeah. in the 1800s, yeah. you know, you look at Charles Dickens would write stories and the rich men would be suffering from their gout attacks. Well, yeah. that's because they used to eat a lot of meat or organ meat, right? liver, yeah. kidney. They are loaded with things called purine. 
Yeah. Okay, and that can lead to a high level of uric acid, and that participate in your bloodstream, and that participates in the gout attack. Yeah. So if you have gout, you'll want to talk to your doctor about the kind of foods to avoid, and their organ meats basically. And you also might want to cut back on your intake of, of regular meat too, because in certain situations when you're very sensitive to developing high uric acids, it can be meat in your in your diet or excess meat in your diet that can do it too. Is this a, a, a genetic thing? Do I have to yeah, worry about it's it? clearly. People who, there are plenty of people who eat organ meats, who eat liver, who eat whatever. I hate, have you ever had, li- well, I like liver in certain situations. I like liver, yeah. Have you ever had a kidney? No. I don't think I'm, a brain? Have you ever had brain? Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. But those things no. were were delicacies at one point in time. And I still, I think people still eat them. Yeah. Um, but sweet bread, you know what that is? A sweet oh, bread? Oh, no. What is pancreas. It? Really? People eat pancreases. I didn't know that. Is there, is there much meat to the pancreas? I, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just the organ juiciness, I guess. I don't know how you even make them. But, um, yeah, so there's <laughs> dietary con- concerns. But it's, there's clearly a genetic component because plenty of people eat those things and don't get gout. Right. So. All right. We need to talk about the other virus, which is monkeypox. Yeah. We, we talked about emergency situations and governments declaring emergencies for COVID-19. Right. And now there have been declarations of emergency for monkeypox. Right. Is this too much too early? Okay. Uh, I I am not going to get in trouble with the medical board here. Uh, Okay. If they want to declare an emergency, I understand why. Sure. Okay. But this is in no way, shape, or form nearly what we've experience with COVID. It's okay. not like you're going to walk into a restaurant without a mask and get monkeypox. I'm sorry. Right, right. It's okay. not going to happen. And I'm not sure why people are so hesitant to talk about the people who are susceptible to monkeypox. Monkeypox requires physical contact. It just does. All right. All right. It's not airborne like COVID. Okay. Um, if you wear a mask, <laughs> it's not going to oh, help oh, you. Well, it's, you know. The vast majority, nine, uh, greater than 95% of individuals who get monkeypox right. are homosexual men, right. gay men, right. or bisexual men. Okay. And the biggest outbreaks that we've seen, the biggest outbreak in the U.S. Is, as far as I know so far, occurred in Provincetown uh, during a gathering of gay men. Yeah. And yeah. they went into uh, a, a event where they exchanged uh, contact and bodily fluids. Right. And they, a large number of them got monkeypox. Now, yeah. should we be vaccinating the entire population against monkeypox? In okay. my opinion, that would be stupid. Okay. What we need to do in terms of declaring an emergency for monkeypox is educate the public about who is at risk and the behaviors that lead to a right. higher risk of monkeypox. Right. We should not be hesitant to do so because we are not trying to stigmatize those individuals who are at higher risk. We're trying to protect them. You know what We're they We're trying to protect them. You know what they haven't said that they hesitate to say is sexually transmitted disease. It is. Well, I mean, but sure. they're, they're not declaring it. Right. An STD. And I, I don't understand why it's sort of anti-woke 
I mean, if we're to accept, and we should, people's people's like I'm not going to use the word lifestyle. We've been criticized for yeah, 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 yeah. People who they are, okay, who they are from birth, even I guess. Um, we should not be hesitant to talk about those behaviors and those individuals that lead to the risk of monkeypox because we're not stigmatizing. Right. We are trying to get the word out in a public health situation to protect these individuals from getting sick. Good. And this is what we need to do. And if we declare an emergency, we should say this is an emergency and the individuals who are at highest risk by 95% are gay men and bisexual men who are engaging in behaviors uh, and activities that lead to exchange of body fluids and, more importantly, direct physical contact. Okay. There is a drug, according to the Mayo Clinic, going to increase human lifespan 30%. I need some of this. We're... Yeah, this is another stupid story. Oh, it is? Yes. Oh, I thought it was real news. Absolutely. It's not? It's it's not not, real news? Well, we've got got our fake news uh, uh, music coming up in just a little bit. This is Heart Health Radio. Let me tell you why you hear so much in the background. We are at the North Carolina Pet Expo. Bring your dog, assuming your dog is gentle around other dogs, because there are hundreds of dogs here. And hundreds of, hundreds of vendors who are very happy to talk to you about their pet-related services. That is coming up, or that's going on right now through the whole weekend. We're going to talk about this drug that's going to make me live 30% longer. 30% longer? That's almost half. We'll talk about that coming up, coming up next. This is Heart Health Radio. Coming up in just a moment, we've got to talk to Ed in Raleigh first. Ed, go ahead. You are on with Dr. Weefald from the North Carolina Pet Expo at the State Fairgrounds. Hi, Ed. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Um, What's going on? Well, I'm worried today. You what? Uh, I'm I'm worried. I just found out I have a leaky valve. Okay. All right, which valve? I don't know which one it is. Oh, they didn't tell you? No, they didn't tell me. I, I have to go get an echocardiogram uh, on Monday. Okay. Right. So, this is, tell me, is this what happened? Your doctor listened to your chest and said you got a leaky valve? Yeah. Okay. So, what does this mean? There are four valves in the heart. Tricuspid, and that's the, the right side. Blue blood comes in from the body, crosses the tricuspid valve. The heart contracts. It goes out the pulmonic valve, and the tricuspid valve closes. Then it circles through the lungs, gets oxygen, comes into the left side of the heart, crosses the mitral valve, the heart pumps, the mitral valve closes, the aortic valve opens. So a leaky valve doesn't mean that the blood's leaking out of your heart. What it means is, for example, when the mitral valve is supposed to close so that blood doesn't flow back into the lungs but goes out into the body, it may not close all the way. And so some blood can flow backwards into the left upper part of the heart 
And that makes, mm-hmm. a, makes a noise. It's called a murmur. And it sounds uh, like that's this. What he, he called it that. Too. Sounds like this. Instead of lub dub, lub dub, uh-huh. it'll be lub dub, lub dub. Tell him how much blood is maybe squeaking backwards. Well, it depends, okay? And so the loudness of the murmur, and again, a murmur is not a disease. A murmur is just what the doctor hears. So the loudness of the murmur doesn't always correspond to how much blood is flowing in the wrong direction. Now, the aortic valve can leak, so the blood flows out to the body, but the aortic valve doesn't close enough. And that sounds like this. Lub-dub, lub-dub. In other words, it's, it's occurring, the murmurs occurring when the heart's relaxing. So what valve is leaking depends upon when you hear the noise. So if you hear the, if you hear the noise when the heart's contracting and you hear the noise way over on the left side of your chest, that most likely is the mitral valve leaking. When you hear it during the heart contraction cycle near the breastbone, that usually is the tricuspid valve leaking. Now, is a leaky valve necessarily bad? No. I mean, I can tell you right now, I hear murmurs in most of my patients, and most of them have a little bit of blood flowing in the wrong direction, quote-unquote, because the valve doesn't close all the way. Now, you're having the right test. An ultrasound or echocardiogram is going to tell you which valve is leaking and how much. It's a pretty amazing test. Make sure they show it to you while they're doing it, or at least afterwards. You can actually see the muscle contracting. You can see the valves opening and closing. And due to something called Doppler flow, they can actually, by the way the sound waves are reflected back into the transducer or the machine, they can tell how much blood is flowing in what direction. So, if you just have a little bit, we have a scale of one to four, mild, moderate, moderately severe, and severe, okay? So severe means the blood is really flowing in the wrong direction. And that's when, if you're symptomatic, or if your heart shows that it's being strained by that backward flow, you might have to have the valve repaired. How are you feeling? Are you short of breath when you walk? Are you having palpitations? What's going on? No, not, not, I don't really notice any problem, but I haven't been walking too much because I hurt my leg, so for, for that last two months, I haven't been. I usually walk about a, about four miles a day, but now I can't really walk. <laughs> and uh, but when have, I saw the doctor, yeah. he said my feet were swollen too. Yeah. Well, even if you have a leaky valve, um, it doesn't sound like you're going to have surgery. Um, and you know, I get I get patients all the time sent to me because of a murmur. And when I listen, it's a very soft. <sighs> However, I did pick up in a doctor. Um, he was a uh, orthopedist, and boy, his murmur was really, really loud. Yeah. And it was in the left side of the chest, uh, down below the nipple lines. And sure enough, he had a mitral valve that had broken one of the strings that holds the valve in a tight way. Hmm. And he wound up having to have his valve repaired. So, in, listen, this guy was a couch potato. Uh, he did not do anything except operate right. and then go sit on the couch. And his valve was repaired and did very well. So don't be worried. But I think it's fascinating. Make sure that they show you what's going on. They show you which valve it is. And then they can actually show you. It's, it's just, it looks like a little flame inside the heart. 
with the blood flowing in one direction or the other. And I think you'll be able to understand. Ed, say that again. They can show that to me when they're doing it? Yep. It's live and in person. Wow. And I, I like it. You're going to have a technician doing it most of the time. I'm probably one of the last doctors who does it himself. Not all the time. Yeah. But I, if I have a real important ultrasound that I'm looking for something in particular, I'm in the room and I'm on the, I'm on that transducer moving it around so I can see it the right way. Right. But no, it's great. And the techs are usually fantastic in explaining things. So tell them you're real interested that Dr. Weefold on the radio told you you want to see it. Okay. And, and have them explain it to you. And then do, do us a favor. Call us yes. back yes. and let us know what happened. Okay, well, thanks a lot. And don't be worried. I mean, if you're walking four miles a day and you've got a quote-unquote leaky valve, nine times out of ten, it's not going to be anything to worry about. Okay. All right, right, Ed. Take care. Thanks a lot. All right. We've also got Larry in Raleigh. Larry, welcome to the show. We're not going to have enough time for a detailed explanation, so you may be held over during the news broadcast. Yeah, we might hold you over. How you doing, Larry? I'm fine. How are y'all today? Good. What's up? Quick question, Dr. Weefall. My wife had a physical three weeks ago. Checked out fine. No AFib. She prepped for a colonoscopy this week. Went in the next day for the colonoscopy and was informed she was in AFib. Is there any possibility that the two are related? Colonoscopy and AFib. Yeah, yeah it, can, it can be a cause, absolutely. Let me tell you, there's two ways. Um, did she drink the seawater for like a no, gallon? No, she actually, she actually did a new program because she did not like the seawater, and it was yeah. a series of, of tablets yeah. Yeah. And, and water. How long was she on the toilet? For like five hours? At least, yeah. <laughs> on the okay. Some people, when they do that, they yeah. lose essential um, minerals. So magnesium, yes. potassium, yes. and I've seen this. Yes. Is that they do it so they go, you know, they just boom. They're on there and they're yeah, really getting rid of liquid. It can be that, but it can Larry, be another. Let's hold them over and we can yeah, talk. Hang on, Larry, because I, I want to hear the rest of this story. Yeah. This, you're so listening don't go away. to Heart Health okay, Radio. I'll be here. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefold? Call 919-860-9783. The reason is the hot asphalt. We on the air right now? Yes, we're Oh my gosh, we're back. We're chit-chatting about dogs. Wearing shoes, yeah. and we missed it. I, I want to say this: yeah. all the people yeah. who have come here with their pets, yeah. I'm amazed. Yeah, because there is not a single poop <laughs> on this in the whole place. Well, I mean, maybe my, not in okay, our I got area. puppies, okay, and I am not the greatest. I sort of say I give them six months. Okay? <laughs> Eventually, they'll learn. And no. I've been cleaning up my floors for ages. But I am, there's nothing. Nobody's stopped to clean up anything. It's just amazing. That's a good thing. All right, Larry and Raleigh is with us. Yeah. We were talking about this cause and effect, maybe a right. cause and effect. It may be a cause and effect. So one of the things that can happen when you poop 
for five hours. You lose magnesium, oh potassium, you can lose all sorts of minerals. Yeah. And that can cause a fib. What is that? That is when the upper chamber of the heart is fluttering. It's not contracting right. in a normal Is she still in fibrillation now? Yes. He's wearing a heart monitor, and uh, actually, doctor, we saw, I told her if she uh, could see you, she'd probably benefit from that. Uh, but I guess she's going to see her primary care yeah, physician first Monday. But we're really concerned about it because they gave oh, yeah. her a drug in the ER after we took her there uh-huh. uh, yeah. that, you know, I guess had the hopes of, of bringing her out of it, but thus far as of today she's still in it and can she feel it in other words is there any possibility she had it before she went into the colonoscopy well, we've, we've been questioning that but my my question was we do know that she had her physical three weeks ago and the doctor her doctor listened to her heart and made no mention of a yeah. Yeah. so we do so, know three weeks ago she had no history of it right. um, when now, one thing that this doctor, with yeah, all sure. my apologies for interrupting, maybe you go ahead. The, the doctor did say, "Look, your cholesterol is elevated now," and put her on Lipitor. And then, three days, I would say, two or three days after she started that, he told me that it made her feel bad. Yeah. So we don't know if that may be a cause and effect of uh, or a possible. Or whether it was coincidental, we yeah. we just don't know. We're kind of at a loss for it, but she has no history of it. Yeah. How, uh, how old is Up she until again? Now. How old is she again? She just turned seventy. Oh, that's young. She's a young whippersnapper. Seventy is a new fifty. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, seventy is a new fifty. I always tell people that because I'm sixty-three. Sure. But anyway, yes, it's it's. There are all sorts of things that are possible. It's un- it would be very unusual for Lipitor or Atorvastatin to be the source of AFib, but I'm not going to say never. I'm not, because everybody's different. Everybody has individual right. sensitivities to things. Now, when they what did they give her in the ER? Was it Diltiazem? Do you know? No. Uh, if I heard it, I would know. But I- Metoprolol? I'm sorry? Metoprolol? That's it. That's what they gave her. Yeah. And is she on that now to try to keep her no. rate low? Is she on anything no. now? No. Uh, uh, other than an aspirin, the, doc, the ER doctor told her to take an aspirin until she saw the doctor. Ooh. So, and, and this just happened Thursday. So, okay. you know, she was unable to get, well, she was only able to get an appointment with her primary for the first of the week on Friday because we literally ended up not getting home until like 5 o'clock from the ER. Well, well, hopefully she'll break out of it. But let me just say this. At age 70, she is at a higher risk to have a stroke from the AFib than, say, somebody who's 30. And aspirin is not enough to prevent strokes in people with AFib. Now, I'm not going to treat her over the phone. I'm just going to use her as an example, okay? Um, The aspirin affects what we call the platelets. Those are the little tiny cells that promote or help with clotting in the bloodstream. It makes them less likely to form clots. But aspirin does not reduce the risk of stroke significantly in somebody with AFib. You need what's called a protein anticoagulant, so warfarin, 
eloquence, Zarelto, those things are what I would prescribe to an individual who has new onset AFib. Because it doesn't matter how long you've had the AFib, you can form uh, clots in the upper chamber of the heart on the left side called the left atrial appendage. They can break off and go to the brain and lead to a stroke. So my recommendation would be, as soon as you can, Monday morning, go see somebody and ask that doctor if she should be on an oral anticoagulant in place of aspirin. I don't know what they're going to say, but I know that's an important question for them to ask, for her to ask. Now, a lot of times it'll just go away, but a lot of times it doesn't, and it needs to be treated. Now, how do you treat it? You can use medicines to just control the rate, and that's called rate control. That's for people who don't feel it, who don't have symptoms from it. They can't even tell they're in it. The second thing is called chemical conversion. So you put them on a medication that will lead to the heart going back and down the rhythm. Now, what we used to do a lot is get people on an anticoagulant, make sure there's no clot, get them on something that will help control uh, and then do what's called a shock treatment, a I haven't done a cardiovascular, and I don't know many people have had a cardiovascular at time. Because the treatment of chimneys now seems to be what we call an ablation. And that's about a four-hour procedure where they go up into the heart, and they find out where this abnormal electricity is, and they zap it with an electric current, or they freeze and make the ocean go away. And so there's lots of things that she could be facing. What I'm helping is that perhaps it was related to the COVID, or perhaps related, uh, unusually so, to the COVID, and then it'll go away and it'll come back. Now, I had it for and it got too much. I mean, we wound up I was taking too much of this medication. I haven't had the AFib come back. I felt it. I mean, I knew I was in AFib. And so I can, I think, reasonably say that it would be um, highly unlikely for me to have a stroke unless it happened to me. But those are the things that do. Did they find anything on the colonoscopy? Larry, did they find anything on the colonoscopy? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, dogs are drowned out there. Yeah, we're having some testing. Suddenly, suddenly we have a hard time hearing the phone. Larry, go ahead. Did they find anything on the colonoscopy? Oh, that they, in other words, because of her AFib, yeah, I get it. So they hooked her up and she was in AFib and said, we're not going to. Okay. That makes sense. All right, we can't hear Larry. Larry, we're, we're going to be on next week, and I, we're going to be in studio. We look forward to hearing yeah, let us know. Call us next week. We'll be in the studio, and we shouldn't have these problems. Let us know what the doctor found and what she's going to have done. All right. Thank you, Larry. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down. Through my hands.
Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Judith Young joins us at the North Carolina Pet Expo. From Pet Partners. Pet Partners? What's Pet Partners? Yeah, let's talk about what you do. Pet Partners is a national therapy dog organization. Great. Tell us, so you train the dogs or you use the dogs to provide therapy or what do you do? Tell us all about yourself. Yeah, so I'm actually a Pet Partners evaluator. Uh So I evaluate therapy animals to do therapy work in the hospital, uh, pet exams, reading programs. We, We, I have evaluated many horses, birds, multiple dogs, rabbits. Yeah. So you evaluate the dog to see if they're going to be an appropriate therapy animal. What do you look for? So you want to look at the biggest thing you want is they would like people. That is the biggest thing, that they like to be with people and kind of care about people. All the therapy dogs I've seen, and I see a lot of them come into my office in cardiology, because I encourage my patients to get dogs. They're so calm, and they just, they won't. They won't go all over the place, um, and they are just incredibly well-trained. Right. Now, is that a specific aspect of an animal, or is it something you train the dog to do? So you can train the dogs to be a little bit more calmer. Right. Um, but some, some dogs are not always calm, and some patients or clients don't particularly want one just laying there. They like them to interact. So, for example, one of my therapy dogs will go to a rehab unit. For say someone had a stroke, uh, we may give them a little brush in the stroke injured arm, and right. they might brush the animal. So, and the animal may be a little more wiggly because of that. Now, wh- I know from my personal experience, yeah. one of the things that I really love is when my little dog comes up on the bed and curls up next to me and stays there. Do you do that with dogs, too? So I can tell you a lovely story about that. Yeah, tell us. I had my first therapy dog I ever had. I went to work at UNC Hospitals, and uh, his name was Jackson. He's a very special boy. Yeah. Um, And we went into the pediatrics unit and saw one of the patients that had cancer, and they requested him to get up on the bed if he could. He was about 50 pounds at that time. So, we, but we did put a blanket and we put him there, and the joy on that young man's face is just un, unremarkable. Yeah. The feeling that you get from sharing. How many dogs do you do you find every year in training? I mean, what's is it every day you're finding one, or is it a special month? Well, we actually set up specific times to do evaluations. Like this year, we have two evaluations going on. We have one on the 13th. And then we have another one on the 23rd of August. And so we, I have to have a team of people to evaluate the animals. Yes. So that's why we have specific dates. And which animals do you evaluate? Just pets or do you find other dogs? Where do you find your dogs? Individuals will come that has actually registered with pet partners on, their, on the website. They have to take a written exam on the website. And then we do a physical evaluation with them. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, this whole theme today has yeah. been how our dogs really improve our health. And yeah. it's so fantastic what you do. Yeah. I mean, therapy dogs going into hospitals, you know, I've seen them actually decrease blood pressure, decrease yeah. the anxiety. 
They decrease depression. Let me tell you a funny story that worked in the opposite direction. Okay, I had a Newfoundland. You know what that is. He's 185 pounds, black, long hair, best dog ever. Well, I was uh, called into the emergency room late at night, and I brought my dog with me. Oh, man. So I parked near the ambulance um, entrance, and I opened my door, and he leaped out of the car uh, behind me, ran. The door opened, you know, because it's an automatic door. Uh, Sure. He runs into the ER. The door opens. He runs into the first room he sees, oh. and it's an intoxicated guy, okay, ah. that they're trying to control. And I hear this absolute scream. Good for There's a bear in my room. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a one case. Yeah. But I would say that dog was not therapeutic in nature. Do you imagine what his blood pressure was? Uh, you know something? I don't care. If they were just trying to get in control of him. A bear coming into his triage room yeah. probably worked. Right. Yeah. Kind of calmed him down. Have you ever had real big dogs as therapy dogs, like a uh, Newfoundland or a see, Mastiff? Um, probably, probably 150. Uh huh. They can be. Most, are they mostly golden retrievers or? Oh, there's so many different. Is they there can is be there mixed one breed? breed that's better than the other or more likely no, I think to it's, be? I think it has to do with their personality and the yeah. fact that they like people. Yeah. So it could be any breed. But any you know, type of dog. You don't use pit bulls, do you? Well, you know, I, I, I have to say I actually had registered a pit bull once. Yeah. That was absolutely a sweetheart. Really? Passed the test with flying colors. So it all depends on the dog. Wow. All right. Or That's the cool. animal. We can, you know, because we can do other animals, you too. Do, do you do parrots and stuff like that? I actually, I actually registered a white dove. In our white group. So. Wow, that makes sense. They're the white dove of and peace and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard crazy stories yeah. about people bringing mini horses on an airplane as yes. a therapy animal. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry, but do you really believe that that's uh, so, a, so, something we so should do? So that may be what the confusion is between therapy dog and service dog. Okay. So if they brought it on the airplane, it would probably had to been service dog. Okay. An emotional or, or a mini horse or yeah. whatever, which yes. is different than therapy work. Okay. Therapy work, the dog or animal, is for everyone. Right. So they can be petted. I and get loved. what you're saying. So the I'm service I'm, dog. Yeah. Yes. I'm confusing the individual who says they have to have a dog to calm themselves down. Yes. Right. You're talking about dogs who go to places and are you are are used uh, to calm other people down and to make them happy. Right. Right. What through, a great service. Through, through illness or anxiety, uh-huh. depression, whatever. They go in many different places. Uh-huh. Judith, how do we get in touch with you? You can contact me at Pet Partners. I'm listed on their website. Right. Yeah. So it's, you just go to petpartners.org.org. And I'm listed there as Judith Young for the Triangle area. Great. Judith, thank you. Yep. Thank you so All much, right. and thank care. you for thank what you, you do. Thank Bye-bye. you for having me. You know, so, so much happiness that you bring all over the place. God be with you. All right, so there is a story about orthopedic surgeons having high breast cancer rates. Can you believe that one type of surgeon yeah. has higher cancer Absolutely. rates? Absolutely. Why? Okay, so if you know what an orthopedic surgeon does, and in particular some of them yeah. that work 
on you know very difficult cases, they have to use an X-ray machine, yeah. just like I did. Um, so what? Why? Because right. when you put the metal uh, pieces into joints, you have to sometimes and a lot of times guide what you're doing with what's called a fluoroscope, so yeah. you can actually see it live and in person moving yeah. around. So what we as cardiologists do is we have a fluoroscope that takes a moving picture. It takes a movie. Sure. And it's a really high amount of radiation. And I wore a double lead um, coat that went from my chin all the way down to my knees to try to protect myself from the number of uh, exposures that I had. Right. So orthopedic surgeons have to wear not only heavy lead, but they yeah. have to wear a, um, a uh, uh, sort of like a bubble suit. Sure. Have you ever seen them? They, they, to try to prevent infection right. into the joint yeah. coming from themselves. So the more radiation exposure you have, the greater the chance it is for different types of cancers. Sure. So I did 18,000 heart catheterizations in pacemakers. You're only supposed to do about 10. And so we wear these radiation badges that tell us the level of exposure over time. Right. Mine went out 10 years ago. And so I did the stupid thing, which I, I tell you, it was my fault. But, you know, here I am. Any cardiologist thinks they're the best at what they do. Yes, they do. And let me tell you, I was really good yeah. at what I did. Okay. But I wound up suffering. I got a low testosterone level from radiation exposure. You did what to your little badge? I threw it away. You threw it away? Yeah. Yeah. You can't really do that. Well, what? I, I mean, new people in nuclear I, I hope power that the medical plans. board's not listening. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was completely and totally wrong. And so well, I am not doing those ago. procedures anymore. Yeah. But I'm fine now. I'm healthy. Yeah. Uh, but I screened myself um, for all sorts of different things. And yeah. The number one thing for a cardiologist is to worry about is uh, some of the blood cancers. Right. So leukemia. Right. And I won't use the name, but there was a very famous interventional cardiologist who developed a lot of techniques for stents uh, who died of leukemia. Oh. And he did 27,000 procedures. 27,000. When you said they limit, they limited you on the number of procedures you should do or can do. It's a nuclear regulatory commission. Really? Yeah. The NRC is really big on this radiation exposure. We had to even learn all the terms. You know, microsieverts is a way to measure the amount of radiation uh, exposure. And let me tell you, they are right. I was wrong. And um, you want to really limit uh, your radiation exposure and you want to protect yourself. Right. Uh, Because it's, it's something that can really take a hold of someone's life and destroy it. Okay. So, breast cancer, yes, it can be a, a, a big risk factor for orthopedic surgeons. Your message to young doctors, protect keep the badge yourself. on you. Put your badge on, Yeah. protect yourself, limit the right. amount of radiation exposure as much as possible. They have things called um, robotic or, or uh, remote um, surgery. Yeah. Where you are sitting far away from the radiation source, and you're using uh, a camera, and uh, you put your fingers into these uh, um, mechanical machines that turn it into 
a electrical signal that goes to the patient, yes. and then your fingers are actually yeah. moving small instruments within the body. And you're they no have that now for heart catheterization and stents too. So the more we can do to limit radiation exposure, the best it is. All right, there was a story about um, increasing human life by 30%. All right, this is another example. I'm surprised that the Mayo Clinic even even talked about this. But right. It turns out there's a company yeah. that they've started, um, and they talk about zombie cells in your body, okay? Yeah. And that there are some zombie cells that are what we call senescent. They're, they're old, and they emit these humors, these, these chemicals. Well, what they're talking about is developing medications to get rid of the messy chemicals and proteins coming out of these zombie cells. Right. So they say, we'll protect you from aging by giving you a pill. Right. Well, guess what? There ain't no pill. Really? They're hypothesizing that they might be able. Someday. Someday to develop a pill. So they say novel drug increases human life. Guess what? There's no drug. There's no drug. So these kind of articles really drive me crazy. And one of the things that I'm hoping that they didn't do this for is because of their Mayo Clinic associated company that perhaps they're putting out these articles to try to get investments in. So when you see an article like this, don't think that there's going to be a pill in the next few years. That's going to make you live 30% longer. And also, where do they get this 30% from? There's no data in this article at all. Right. That they've done any research into any type of treatment. Right. And then following people along and saying, you didn't get the treatment, you live 20 years. You got the treatment, you live right. 26 years. You can't do that until you have a pill. Right. I mean, I'm... And you can't say 30% until you've done a study... Right. It shows you gave a pill, which is non-existent, right. and it increased a bunch of people's lifespan by 30%. Okay. Drives me crazy. All right. There was, um, I, I read that if you, a primary care doctor, in order to fulfill all of the things that you're supposed to do, all those oh, yeah. charting, all the, what do you call it when you put the so, text so, so into So let me the tell chart. you about my life. Yeah. Okay? Even as a cardiologist and doing but Don't complain because other people have art well, I mean, too. But okay. yeah, go ahead. Okay, so my life. Yeah. I, I see 20 I, to 30 patients a day. I am not going to try to do my notes while I'm seeing the patient. Thank you. Because they make you do that now in order to get paid and you have to do it a certain length of a note. So yeah. what's happening now is that I have to work all weekend putting my notes together for the patients I saw the week before. Sure. And then the other thing about it is every single test now needs what's called a prior authorization. Mm-hmm. And so that's a tremendous amount of work. It's driving us crazy. And it's driving people to quit. And it's driving people in medical school into the specialties like dermatology where you don't <laughs> have to do that. So... So we're going to be back next week, assuming you've got Saturday off. Or oh, yeah. Some of Saturday. I, I, this, this is my therapy. Talk right. about therapy dogs, therapy radio. This is Heart Health Radio.